In my life, the people that I've met who have, how do you say this, who've affected me, the people who I feel like have shown me the most of Christ, of God in them, the ones who have just kind of changed my life just by meeting them, just to be around people, and you just know that this person is in contact with what God is doing. This person hears the music. This person's moving with God. What's uncomfortable about these people is that they're always moving at a different rhythm than most of us. You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. This is the third Sunday of Advent. Advent has four Sundays to it. Now, the whole idea of Advent is that we acknowledge something that every single human experiences. Darkness. Pain. And there's one thing about darkness and pain is that when you're in it, it's all that you feel, right? When you've lost someone, when you're going through uh, pain, through depression even, there is something about it that just swallows you whole. But the other thing about pain and darkness is that if you're not going through it, you don't want to be around it, right? Uh, have you ever been around that person who's going through just a terrible life season and they just, they, all they talk about? And the first time they talked to you about it, you wanted, you patted them on the back, you gave them a hug, you said, everything's going to be, yep, just like the prophet Marley, right? Everybody, anybody? Okay. Just kidding. Jokes. Oh, everything's going to be all right, right? And of course, that didn't fix them. And then, then like the next time that they called you or they texted you, and it's midnight and you just didn't want to talk to them, and the next time you were in a really good mood and you sat down at the table and they just sucked all the joy out of you because they're just going through pain, and you decided that maybe I should just avoid this person. Because when someone is going through darkness and pain, it, it, it envelops them. Now, the crazy thing about darkness and pain is this is that every human being is always experiencing a form of pain. We are always experiencing darkness at, at any moment. There's something in our souls we're grieving, that we are afraid of, that we are experiencing pain, that we're experiencing loss. It's always there, darkness. It's always there. In this room, we are flooded with light. Do you see this? If you look up, these beautiful lights, you have no idea the pain in the butt these lights were to hang. To get the heights just right, to spread them out, it was a pain in the royal you-know-what. Now, even with all this light that's being flooded into this room, there's something else that's present, right? Do you see it? Around each of the, the different pillars, in the corners, and the ceilings, over here, there is something, we, darkness. Even with this room being flooded with a very expensive amount of light, right, there's still darkness everywhere in this room. Right? Even on my face, do you see the darkness? Do you see that? It's not in my eyes, okay? It's just the way my face is shaped. Leave me alone, okay? One day we'll afford the really fancy lights, and they'll shoot it right into my eyes, and, <laughs> you know, it'll look better. But darkness is always present, right? It's always here. What Advent does is it kind of speaks to people who are in this moment swallowed in darkness, swallowed in their pain right now. And it kind of connects to them there. And for the rest of us, it reminds us that even though we try to fill every day of our life with just not feeling the pain and the darkness, it reminds us that it's there. It's a very important thing. Because part of the ways that we connect to God are in the ways where we are most present. It's almost like if I want to hang out with someone, I need to get into the room with them, right? 
If I would love to spend time with my wife, I need to get physically around her. I need to be in the same proximity. FaceTime is awesome, but it's just, it's just not the same, right? There's something about getting in the space that someone else is in. That's how you make connection. And if there's a part of your soul which is in a dark place right now, if you're experiencing pain or depression or, I don't know, anxiety maybe, even if you are not showing that on the outside, that's where you really are. Or in anger, maybe. And this is why God meets us in darkness, because that's where most of us really are. That's the room that we've actually, we've locked ourselves away. Is there anyone in this room who, when you get angry in a fight with someone, like you lock yourself in the bathroom or a bedroom? I see someone pointing at another human. It's best if they raise their hand on their own. <laughs> right? There are some of us that when we get in a fight, we flee and we lock ourselves away, right? But this is something that all of us do. We lock ourselves away. And so what God does is he chooses to come and to meet us in that locked room of pain and anger and frustration. And so what we do on Advent, each Sunday of Advent, we light a candle. The, the, the beautiful thing about it is we start in darkness. Now on Christmas Eve at the service, we'll have this room completely dark and we'll start in darkness. And there's something about that in a dark room when you begin to light the candles. It's a really beautiful thing. So we start in darkness, and each Sunday of, of Advent, we light another candle. So this is the third Sunday. And so we come and we light the third candle. Now, I actually asked my wife to do this. That's Nisa over here. She said, I don't want to do it. I can't do those things. I said, okay, let's go find an eight-year-old. Got it. You should have just done it. And so we have a God who meets us in this. And of course, so we, we have the four candles for the Sundays, and then we have the white candle. This is the Christ candle. This is uh, what the, the Apostle John talks about. And in the darkness, there was a great light. And that light was the light of all humanity. Well, the actual Greek, the light of all the cosmos. The light of everything that is and was and will be. And that light. You're right. Amen to that. So on this third Sunday of Advent, there's a theme that goes with it. In this entire uh, series, we've been talking about the idea that, that God has a sound. Advent even has a sound. It's almost like a rhythm, right? That God is at work doing something. And that for us as Christians, in the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, there is a, a theme of sound, almost of song, right? And so in the last book of the Bible, it talks about those who are being saved in Revelation. It says that those are the ones who heard the song of the Lamb. And the beautiful thing is, is that the imagery is, it's the same song all the way back to Genesis. C.S. Lewis has this, this scene, he wrote a children's kind of a fiction novel. It's a picture of when Jesus, or Aslan, this lion, is creating this planet it's this dark space. It's, it's completely pitch black. And these kids are, are standing here holding hands and like they are terrified because they can't see a thing. It's this place they're in, it's just, it's just black. But the first thing that these kids experience is a vibration. They sense this deep bass tone shaking under their feet. And the first thing that, that begins to happen is they don't hear the sound of life, of creation. They feel it. And so the first week we talked about how the first thing we do with sound when we are sensing God doing things, that sometimes we don't hear it yet. We haven't made sense of what's at work, but sometimes you can feel it, right? It's, it affects you. 
And the second thing that takes place is in, in this story, they begin to, to, it's almost like they begin to be elevated because these bass tones are shaping the, the, the ground that they're on. And so these mountains and these hills and valleys begin to be shaped. So they're actually standing on this thing that becomes this, this mountaintop. It's a beautiful scene. And then all of a sudden, they begin to notice these, these uh, medium kind of uh, uh, medium range waves. They begin to hear these sounds. It's almost like a cello begins to ring out. And they begin to see trees and plants begin to fill things. And then as it begins to go to the higher registers, they begin to see light and these birds and little animals. And then all of a sudden, they begin, the light begins to shine. And what they see in the distance is this, laz, uh, this lion, Aslan. He's a symbol of, of Christ. And you see that what has been happening the whole time is a song. This line is literally singing this world into creation. And the last thing that happens for them is they actually hear the entirety of the song. They actually make sense of what's being sung. Now, there's something about this, right? When you have a song, when you have a rhythm, when you have a pattern, right? There's something about certain sounds and songs are pleasant to the ears, and others are not pleasant. Would you like to hear some pleasant sounds today? I promise it won't be the ones. I think it was the, the, the first week I think we did this series. Uh, I did like these uh, uh, sound tests. We started with like absolute like low uh, frequency all the way to the highs. And watching your faces was just beautiful. The room would shake at first and everyone's like, I don't like this. not good. And of course, the higher pitch ones is almost like a bird screeching. It's very unpleasant. It's terrific. Now, if we've got those songs, you need to play that first one for me. About 30 seconds of it. Feel it? You feel it? Who knows what this song is? Anybody? Oh, you will. Just wait. Feel it? Who is this? Who knows? Who is this? Kenny G. Please, I can't. I can't. I can't. We don't want trouble to break out in this room playing that song too long, right? The church is about to multiply. We're just obeying the Bible. That's all we're doing. All right. Now, I want to show you a different piece of jazz, because that was actually jazz music. Some people would argue with me, say that's not jazz. Uh, it's elevator music, but we're going to play a different jazz artist, someone who is, uh, in my opinion, phenomenal, but I want to see how you take this rhythm. Go ahead and play it for me, buddy. How do you like it? Huh? Yeah, you got it? You got it? Now, if you would like to play that on Valentine's night, come on. Try that one. See how that goes for you. So I know you like Kenny G, but I figured that today we try some John Coltrane, right? <laughs> now what happens when that plays, right? Like what happens in you? Now if you notice, we're all joking about Kenny G. It was funny, right? But what happens when it begins to play? It's an easy rhythm to follow. It's an easy sound pattern to identify. And so your body begins to just relax a little bit. Ah. Even if you don't like it, it doesn't set you on edge, right? I mean, like, who felt tense when, like, Kenny G came on? Anybody? You did not. It's biologically impossible to want to fight somebody when Kenny G's on. <laughs> when a fight breaks out at home, just press play. Oh, yeah, really? 
Now, at the same time, how did your body react whenever I played Coltrane? Now, in defense, Coltrane is lots of normal jazz, right? This is more like experimental jazz, okay? How did you react to that? If you noticed, two mamas carried their babies out. <laughs> if you noticed. Because it did what to them, right? It disrupted them, right? There are some rhythms which are, are easy to follow, which, which are, we naturally want to move with. And there are other things which kind of cause a disruption. It's the reason that Coltrane was difficult for us to, to enjoy is because it's not an easy rhythm to identify. Your brain is having trouble figuring out, okay, okay so where's the pattern? Where's the consistency? How do I move with this music? Now, I, you know, I, I was holding back, okay? But there is a way to dance the Coltrane. I will not show you. But there is a way to move with the music. The rhythm is there. You just have to find it, right? The problem is it's not an easy one to identify. Your body can't quickly identify what's happening. It sets you on edge, right? The babies were gently sleeping through worship. Uh, I'm sure if they stayed here long enough, I'd put them back to sleep, right? But there's something about Coltrane which it wakes them up. It's out of the ordinary. It's not expected. It's not normal. It's not comfortable, right? And so one of the things that happens for us when it comes to sensing the sound of what God is doing, being aware, being, being awake to God, is in my life, the people that I've met who have, how do you say this, who've affected me, the people who I feel like have shown me the most of Christ, of God in them, the ones who have just kind of changed my life just by meeting them, just to be around people, and you just know that this person is in contact with what God is doing. This person hears the music. This person's moving with God. What's uncomfortable about these people is that they're always moving at a different rhythm than most of us. It's almost like they hear a different song. Imagine, okay, just imagine all of us swaying to Kenny G. Come on, right? Right? <laughs> Do you hear it? All right? And then imagine someone comes in like this. <laughs> right? Like, how's it going to make you feel, right? You're going to be like, yeah, I don't want to be around that guy, right? <laughs> the truth is that you guys want to hang out with Kenny G people, correct? But the Bible is about those John Coltrane type of people, okay? There's a different rhythm that is moving when you begin to sense what God is doing. Now, um, we started uh, the sermon last week, the Song of Mary, the Magnificat, right? The Song of Mary, which sounds so sweet, it's, <laughs> how you say this, it's a tough kind of lullaby, right? If you imagine a mom kind of, you know, holding their child, you know, trying to rock them to sleep, you know, you would imagine these very sweet kind of songs, right? But the lullaby of Mary, the song that she sings over her child and over the earth, is kind of a disruptive one, right? And we, we talked about this. It's one of the, the passages of Scripture that's most banned. It's outlawed in certain parts of the world because they realize what happens when people sense this rhythm? What does it create? What does it do, right? It disrupts. It throws things off. Now, the passage that we started with this morning, let's go back to that. Uh, Isaiah 35, right? Let's go down to uh, verse 5. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. Now, if someone has not spoken in their entire life, there's a pattern there. There's a consistency. 
This person has gone through their entire life to a certain rhythm, right? If someone has, has been unable to walk, they've been lame their entire life, there's a consistency there. There's a rhythm there. If someone has never seen, has never heard before, there's a consistency there. Let's go on to the rest of these things. For the water shall break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Now, we have, a, we have this word that we use for places that are hot, arid, dry. Places where there is an absence of water. What's that word? Desert. <laughs> when there are streams of water flowing through a desert, there is, <laughs> there is an issue here. What is happening? This place has been called a desert, not because it's never had water, but because the rhythm, the consistency of this place has been absent of water. And what's going to happen? It's going to flood with water. The burning sand shall become a pool. All right, now here's one that it's easier for us to like relate to. Uh, who's ever been to the beach? Okay, the trip from the water to your sandals or the towel. Has anyone experienced this before? Right? You've only got so many seconds until your feet begin to send the signal to your brain that this is a bad idea, right? So you begin to do the what? The, right? The hot step? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, I've done it. You get the idea, right? And now this place, right, this hot sand is now going to become a pool of water. Again, there's a consistency that's going to be broken. What we just read in this passage, this entire passage, is that there was a place where Kenny G was playing. Consistency. This is what we know. But it is going to be disrupted. It's going to change. What has always been will not be anymore. It will change. Now, what's crazy to most of us is all this stuff seems like it sounds like good things, right? Oh, great. I get to, you know, those who can't hear get to hear. Those who didn't see get to see. Those who couldn't walk now walk. Awesome. Those who are thirsty in the desert, now there's going to be water. They get to swim. Terrific, right? But you're missing what's being said, right? You're missing it. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this before or not, but there is an odd kind of a human phenomenon with, with change. You can take someone who seemingly is in a terrible place, and then you give them something that anyone else would think is amazing, and they respond to it by going, no, nah, I don't want that. Who's ever seen Castaway? Anybody? Right? And so it's a movie right, about a man being in a situation that most of us would think is awful. Terrible. We don't want that, right? And then he gets saved, and they bring him in, and they have this amazing banquet of food, and he's doing what? He's just kind of looking at it. Just kind of, you know, he can't find anything that he actually wants to eat. And you think, ah, this guy, he's been on an island for years. Surely he wants everything at the table, right? He's just going to sit there and eat until he throws up, right? And then he gets this, this amazing five-star room, and he ends up sleeping where? On the floor. Because there's something in human nature that even if what we're experiencing is terrible, at least it's predictable. It's safe. It's familiar. Even the worst conditions in the world can become home to us. 
So one of the odd things about us as people is that there's something that we fear more than anything else. Change. We fear it. Now this is a problem. Because everything in this book, if you read it clearly, everything in this book is about one thing. Change. The only constant which will be in all the universe is that things will be changing. The entire story begins with a sentence about change. And then there was. Meaning before that, there was a consistency. There was this. There was nothing. And now, there's a new rhythm. There is disruption. Now, depending on your personality type, there are people in this room who love change. You are the oddballs, right? Oh, let's do it. Let's do that new thing. That's awesome. Let's do that. Good. Awesome. Me, I love change. I love to blow it up every week. If we can move houses every week, I would do it. Let's just do something different. Let's continue to find new things because there's always something out there. That's, that's my personality. Let's, let's go because there's got to be something more out there. Most of you would not like this, correct? Not if that's you. We don't want change. We want consistency, right? We want things that are safe. So most of us experience or we perceive disruption and change to be a negative thing. If I told you that tomorrow everything in your life is going to be different, would you be excited or scared? Come on, speak it out. Or, or angry, maybe? Yeah. Now, you could wake up tomorrow, right, and have this beautiful, amazing life. But you could also wake up tomorrow and have a worse life, right? I don't want to risk it. It's not worth it, right? And so, for most of us, we experience change or disruption, a new rhythm as a bad thing. It's a terrible thing, right? If you were my buddy, you would experience something. I would be constantly taking you to experience new things. Because that's what I'm about. Because I always know there's something more beautiful. There's something new to be had. And that's what I'm all about. Finding where God has something beautiful for me to experience. But there are others of you who would not be interested in that journey. For example, uh, if your favorite food can be found in Alma, Arkansas. Anybody? Can your favorite food be found in this city? Amen to all of you. You're all blessed and highly favored. All right? If your favorite food can be found in this city, you would not want to go eat with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> right. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But there's something about the way that we perceive this change. And so a big problem that a lot of us face when we come to the Scriptures is that when we begin to hear the sound of what God is doing, we instantly begin to pull back. I get asked this a lot, okay? So how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm a Christian or not? Now, if you go to some churches, they'll tell you, well, if you believe these ideas, if you can check them off, you are a Christian. Got it. If you go to other churches, they'll tell you, well, have you been baptized? Did water touch your body, right? And you came out. You're saved. You're good. If you go to other churches, have you been baptized? And are you having Eucharist every Sunday? As long as you've got the water, the bread, and the juice, you're saved. Here is how the first church in the book of Acts knew if someone was saved or not. Had their life been turned upside down. That's how they knew who to trust and who not to trust. Has your life been disrupted? 
If you looked at yourself pre whenever you think you got saved, how similar are you? Now, I'm not talking about having, you know, I'm sure that time has gone by. Maybe you've become um, more successful. Maybe you have kids now, whatever. But what I'm saying is the way that you live your life, the way you see yourself, the way you see people around you, how similar is the way that you view the world today as the way that you viewed it when you got saved before that? How much disruption has there been in your life? If you want to go through the, the Scriptures here in the New Testament, show me one person who received the Gospel of Christ whose life wasn't completely flipped on its head. The Apostle Paul, he loved to brag about it. He used to brag about how saved he was because of how messed up his life was. Oh, you think that you're in touch with Jesus Christ? Have you been stripped naked? Huh? Anybody? Beat you. Have you had people throw stones at you today? I have. More saved than you are. He's kind of a jerk, you know. Have you lost your family and friends? I did. See, the sign of whether or not we have received Christ into our lives is have we allowed that new rhythm, that disruption to take place? Now, again, we all have, it's ingrained in us. There's a way that we respond to a threat. If you have a certain type of personality where you perceive a threat, change as a threat, as danger, then you have a choice to do two things. One, you will, you will choose to fight this new thing God is doing, resist it, to wrestle with it. Or two, you will choose to flee from it. Or three, you will just be numb. What? What happened? Fight, flight, or freeze, right? Which one are you? I tend to be more of the fighting type. Get off me, Jesus. Come on. Come on, wake up. Some of you guys are like, Jesus? No, what? <laughs> what, Jesus? What, Jesus? Come on. Have you allowed this thing to disrupt your life? Now, the first problem is this. The first thing that needs to be healed in us today is the way that we see, the way that we perceive, the way we think and feel about what Christ does in the world. I guarantee you this. If you full-heartedly choose to receive what God is doing in the world and receive it in you, it will disrupt your life. It will. You will forever see the world differently and you won't ever be able to go back to it. It will be less comfortable. But here's the thing about disruption. Disruption doesn't always have to be painful. And it definitely doesn't have to be bad. Um, Pastor Larry has these awful stories of his, his shoulder being dislocated. Have you guys heard their stories at all? They're terrible. Okay, so basically he's got this messed up shoulder, and it's been like dislocated like how many times? Each shoulder's been dislocated five times. Terrific. That sounds good. You should get that fixed. <laughs> five times each shoulder. Okay. And so he's, you know, since I was a kid, he's told me these stories, right? And he'd always tell me this part of the story. So he's either surfing or he's wrestling or he's trying to wrestle some guy three times his size. He's a really smart guy. You know that. Um, <laughs> trying to wrestle a horse or something, right? And it gets, it gets like dislocated. And he tells me how excruciating it is, which by the way, I've always been very like protective of my shoulders. <laughs> Probably part of the hugging thing. No, stop, stop. Just, you know, shoulders. <laughs> and then he would tell me, finally we get to the hospital. I'm about to pass out. It's so painful, whatever. And then they would just go, <sighs> oh, what? Just picturing 
these people having to grab, his, having to hold his body in place and jerk forcefully to rip these tendons and to reposition. I mean, what in the world? He would go, oh, and I'd feel so much better after that. <laughs> it's a disruption. See, surgery is a disruption. Scientifically, surgery is actually doing damage to your body in the moment. They're literally cutting your body. You are losing blood. It is not a positive experience in the moment. Why are you cutting me? How is this going to help me? What is happening here? In the moment, surgery is a disruption to your bodily functions. The reason that you have to go from the surgery room to ICU is to make sure you don't die after surgery because they've just disrupted your body. But some surgery, some disruption, some things being set into place are exactly what we need to be whole. Do you see this? The story of what Christ is doing in the world is this. He's coming to reset, to put things right. This is actually the concept. This is how God understands justice. Things being made right. The experience of these things can be traumatic to us at times. I don't know, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of people who would just ask to have their shoulder reset unless you need it to be reset. Right? When you go into the doctor to have a root canal, who's had that before? Sometimes, to me, in the dentist's office, you realize how not far science has come. So the only solution to this pain is to drill a hole in my body. Really? Yeah, it's going to be great. Surely we could have invented some better way of solving this, right? We need these disruptions. Because here's the thing. Disruptions don't have to be experienced as pain. So imagine this. You are on the table. You're having an operation, okay? What would happen to you if you began to wiggle on the table? Oh, don't mind me, just dancing the Coltrane, I'm good. What happened if you began to fight the surgeons? They have your shoulder open and they are cutting and doing all the nastiness that they're doing and you just get up and start swinging at people. What's going to happen? How are you going to experience this disruption? Yeah, it is not going to be good for you, right? One of those painful things that any of us can do is try to resist the work of Christ in us. But this is exactly what most of us will do. This is what you will do. The fighters in the room, whoever you are, when God begins to work in something, you will begin to fight and resist. You're the guy on the operating table who's jumped up and is now swinging at the, at the surgeons. There's a reason that they, you know, that they have to put you under, right? For others of you, you are the hiders, right? The flighters. You have, you have gotten off the table when the doctor wasn't looking and you're now hiding in the closet. You have gone for 10, 15, 20 years and there's brokenness inside of you that has been opened up, but you have not allowed the healing to be finished. And now into every relationship, you bring your brokenness, your festering, infected wound. One of the most dangerous things in hospitals is infection. The number one reason people die in hospitals, they get infected. 
when there, when there is a part of their body which has been opened up for healing, stays open too long, it can lead to death. And many of you jumped off the table too soon because you thought that this was just going to hurt you. What was meant to heal you, you thought was just meant to hurt you. I'm telling you, that's some of you in this room. 15, 20, 25 years this has been infecting your relationships. Changes the way that you friend people. Changes the way that you handle your work. Changes the way that if you're married, how you interact with your spouse. If you have children, grandkids, nephews, nieces. Changes the way that you interact with these important people in your life. We have to learn not to run from the disruptions of Christ in our life. This is the good stuff. It's not just meant to hurt you, it's meant to heal you. So the question I get a lot is, you know, so, so what does this actually look like? How do we actually know if this is God or if it's not God or things like this? Being a Christian is number one about this one thing. If, if, you're, not, if you're not a note taker, if you've been kind of daydreaming, here's the one thing that you want to take away from this. You cannot be a Christian if, you ready? If you do not make time to sense or hear God. Now, you've been taught this from, from, from day one, that being a Christian is about having a relationship with God. You've been taught that from day one. You cannot relate to someone that you do not connect to. It's impossible. If, if, if my wife, Nisa, wave everybody, if you were a mail-order bride, <laughs> I paid a high dollar. <laughs> if you got lost in the mail and shipping, if, if Amazon lost you, if you never made it from Yugoslavia to here, <laughs> if you never made it here, and I was only married to you on paper, is this a marriage? I'll bring three goats over tomorrow. You're good. <laughs> See, a marriage has the piece of paper that I sign as a pastor has nothing to do with marriage. It has to do with taxes, <laughs> okay? <laughs> the words that I say to people on the stage, the prayers I pray, if these two individuals do not make time in their life to hear each other, to sense each other, to connect to each other. They are not married. Marriage is a relationship, an interconnectedness. It's a, a give and a take. It's, a, it's responding to another human being in a particular type of way. Being saved, being a Christian, is sensing and responding to God in a particular type of way. And the way that we describe that response it's discipleship. You've become a follower of Christ. You are someone who has made time in your life to sense, to feel, to hear what God is doing and saying in your life and around you, and you are choosing to not fight it. You're choosing to not run from it. You're choosing to not ignore it. You are choosing to follow it, to cooperate with it, to move with God. I would even say this. To be a Christian is to learn to dance with God. Amen. That's a quote for Facebook. That's actually the sermon for next week. 
If you're not making space in your life to sense God, to feel God, to hear God, that's what has to be fixed first. Would you guys stand with me this morning? Now, the beautiful thing about the grace of God, right, is that God knows that we will go in patterns. You will have times when you're doing a really good job of making space to, to listen, to sense God, and then you'll go through seasons of your life where you will be really good at, at ignoring God, at fighting God. It's not about what's happening just in this moment, right? It's a relationship. In your friendships, with your family, with your spouse, children, if you have them, there will be seasons where you're doing a good job of, of hearing them, of responding to them, and there will be seasons where you will do, well, seasons where you will fail at these things. But the reason that we do Advent every year, the reason we light the candles every year is because we need a a reminder every year. There is darkness in us and around us. And sometimes that is the easiest place to connect to God. So this morning, I just want to encourage you this. For those of you who need a practical, okay, I, I get this idea, but what's it look like? Here's where you start. I had to start doing this. When I would walk into a room, I would ask myself, God, what are you doing in this room? Now, it, it, it might need to be framed differently. Like this. God, who, who do I need to pay attention to in this room? That question alone will disrupt your life, I promise. Walk into a room, who do I pay attention to in this room? Because I guarantee there are certain things you would do naturally. When I walk into a coffee shop, I will naturally pay attention to no one. Now, I'm aware of what they're doing, but I'm here to drink coffee and to read or to write. I'm not here for conversating, right? When I walk into a room with my children, I will naturally put my attention to a certain place. When I walk into the church, I will naturally have things I will pay attention to and things that if I weren't reminded otherwise, I would miss. So if you are someone who's ready to start with this, start here. When you walk into a room, you ask, God, who do I pay attention to? What are you doing? You create space in your life where you ask yourself and you ask God, God, what are you doing in me? Once a month, I meet with someone we call a spiritual director. Basically, it's like counseling, but it's focused on sensing God. And this guy's one job, he meets me for an hour every month, his one job is this. He asks me one question. What is God doing in you right now? And it takes an hour for me to figure it out. (laughs) Because it's not easy, right? When you are thinking about your family or your loved ones, God, what are you doing in these people? Because see, the candles in the darkness, we're reminded that there is darkness, but the candles... Remind us of something else. Even though we know there will always be pain in this room, in you, in me, there will always be pain in the room. The candles remind me, they tell me otherwise. They tell me that while there is pain in the room, God is in the room also. And the reason this season is so important for us adults, not just the kids, is this. You can go your entire life feeling like God has abandoned you. Like he doesn't speak to you the way he speaks to other people. He doesn't do things to you like he does to other people. He just, he always ignores you. You can go your entire life believing that if you don't learn how to make space to sense him, to listen to him. The only difference between you and anyone who has these great stories of encountering God is that they have made space to listen 
and since God. God has not abandoned you. As much as I know there's darkness in every room I will ever enter into, I also know that God is in every room I will ever enter into. Father, we just come to you this morning that we would be people who let you come into our pain. People who don't run away from the pain of others, but that we will also be people who bring light into every room and acknowledge that you are near in every room. Thank you.